is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hello, everybody. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 95 for Monday, November the 12th, 2012. My grandmother's birthday. Oh, happy birthday, Granny Miles. Uh, Betty. Betty Miles. Short for, uh, actually, Rebecca. But they couldn't call her Becky because they had a cow named Becky. And you don't want to call your grandma and your cow by the same name. Well, your daughter, because <laughs> it was her parents that did that. So they called her Betty, so she's Betty. Betty, uh, did the cow come first or did she come first? She, the cow was already there. So they named her after the cow? Well, I don't know if that's the actual case, but uh, they had a cow named Becky and they named her Rebecca, so they couldn't call her Becky, so they called her Betty. All right, I'm on board. Happy birthday to Betty. Yeah. The cow didn't have the same birthday, did she? <laughs> I don't know. Okay, because that'd be even weirder. I, you know, I called my grandma earlier today to wish her a happy birthday. I should have asked. All right, next time. Maybe next year. Next time. Uh, All righty. Before we get into things here, a couple of quick uh, corrections and or notes from last week. Corrections? Well, not really correction. The first is an email from Fred in Cincinnati, and he had this to say, I am shocked by your ignorance of empire history. (laughs) (laughs) Guy Fawkes led an assassination attempt on the British Parliament. Don't you all study history in school? Even we benign Americans... Uh, learn about Guy Fawkes. Of course, it has been a long time since I have been in school, so things may have changed. Now, to be fair, it's been a long time since we've been in school, too. Nobody ever even attempted to teach me about Guy Fawkes. And I don't think I ever learned about it either. Um, and you would think that being in Canada, we would have a slightly more, a better chance of learning about some part of British history. I don't know. I learned but about voyageurs not. and uh, Courier de Bois and uh, various such things, but Nothing about British stuff. I took an American history class in high school. Did you? Yeah. But, I mean, high school was a long time ago, and there's a lot of stuff about those years that I no longer recall. Yeah. So, anyways, I apologize to everyone if we offended you with our shocking lack of knowledge about uh, Guy Fawkes. At least they burned him in effigy. We learned that. Yeah, we did learn that. Now, here's the other one that I'm really upset about. Casey from Texas wrote in, Female chickens are hens. Both hens and roosters are are chickens. Well, 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 well. That, yeah. I so mean, you're embarrassed. Wow. I mean, could we, we really couldn't come up with hens last week. No, well, you know, we had stuff going on. <laughs> I understand that, but Other hens Other things is, on our mind. Guy Fox may or may not be common knowledge. A female chicken being called a hen definitely is. Well, yeah. I think my five-year-old could have come up with hen. Well, we should invite her on the show. <laughs> <laughs> we should. When we're talking about chickens. Was it you and I that tra- had that conversation trying to figure out what a pony was? Uh, yes. I don't think it was on the air, though. No, it wasn't. On, just in, in life. Like, we've had many conversations, and one of which was, what makes a pony a pony? Right. A pony is a small horse. Right. We thought it was maybe a baby horse, but that's not. Or, a, you know, case. a special breed of horse. Right. It's just a small horse. Yeah. Yeah, well, there you go. We didn't know what a pony is, and we couldn't come up with the word hen last week, yeah. so... We could have a whole podcast on crap we do not know. Yeah, we should someday, actually. Yeah, it might we, be entertaining. It's occurred to us to have this podcast, because <laughs> uh, there's a lot we don't know. If anybody wants to hear that, let us know. Yeah. Um, okay, one last thing before we get going. Tomorrow is World Kindness Day. Oh, that's nice. And I, yeah, I would just like to say, everyone be kind to your friends and fellow human beings tomorrow. And that drops on a Tuesday. 
It does. Just like record releases. There you go. <laughs> kindness and new music. Yeah. Introduced in 1998 by the World Kindness Movement, it is observed in many countries, including Canada, Japan, Australia, Nigeria, United Arab Emirates, and the UK. It is a day that encourages individuals to overlook boundaries, race, and religion. Well, that's nice. So, uh, World Kindness Day. Happy celebrating kindness, everybody. I'm going to be kind to almost everybody tomorrow. Yeah, pick pick somebody to be a jerk to, but everyone else be kind. Well, yeah, because, you know, that's the way the world works. You'd be nice to everybody except for one jerk. Right, and you're not, well, or you could be nice to them the rest of the year, but on kindness day, flip it around. Right. And uh, really confuse them. Yeah. All right, there we go. Let's move on. The Walking Dead News. In the news this week, we are going to talk about the ratings from episode four, cool. as we are known to do. It had 9.27 million viewers. That You see, I'm trying to remember ratings from week to week, and it's always around nine. There was one we, we, you know, we peaked at 10, and Correct I'm trying 10. to remember this is down a little bit from last week. Um, it is, you know, I didn't write it down, but it is, I think, down a little bit. If It got a 4.9 in the 18 to 49 demographic. Oh, yeah, down from episode three, which was a 5.4. Right. I did write it down. Oh, see, excellent. See, see, I know what I'm doing. And I took a reasonable guess. You did. That it was down a little bit. Yep. Uh, when you total up the 9, 10, and midnight broadcasts, you get 14 million viewers for last week. It's still have a hell of a lot of people. Uh, it, uh, it is a hell of a lot of people. Now, I am curious about the ratings for number five that we're going to be discussing tonight. Yeah. Because I think that episode four was such a monumental episode with everything that transpired, word of mouth is going to spread and people are going to come in droves to watch episode five. Right. That's uh, that's a very good point. That very well could be. So next week, we'll find out what the ratings were for Say the Word, which we're about to discuss, and maybe it will set a new record. That'd be cool. You never know. Um, all right. I just want to keep plowing through here because I have a feeling this is going to be a big show. So let's get on to this. Plowing. Say the word. All right. Time to recap. Say the word. So we start this episode with an afternoon party mm. going on in Woodbury. It, it looks seems like, like a picnic. I like a picnic barbecue, maybe. It seems like everyone's having a nice time. Milton brings Andrea a cold drink, and uh, she's very appreciative of that. And she asks, what's going to be happening that night? Yeah, and Milton says that words cannot active uh, cannot properly describe the festivities that will be taking place. I don't want to tell you; it's a surprise. It's a surprise, a little bit of a secret, yeah. and words cannot describe it. If I tell you, everybody behind that camera is going to know, so I can't tell you. <laughs> yes, but I we... can't just say I can't tell you, so I've got to phrase it in a form that uh, will be intriguing. Well, words cannot describe it, but I think we'll have some words to describe it. Yeah, later. we'll describe it. So we cut to inside the governor's house. He's sitting there. Nice piano music is playing. It mm-hmm. seems very peaceful. And he's combing somebody's hair. Yeah. And uh, his camera sort of pans around, and suddenly part of the person's scalp comes off. Ick. It was a bit gross. And you realize that it is a walker, and it is a little girl walker. It's his daughter, Penny. Yeah. So now, he's- she was sitting there quietly while he was uh, brushing her hair for a few moments. And then when that piece of scalp came off, that obviously uh, got her riled up. I don't, I'm not entirely sure why, but uh, her hands were not bound. Her uh, head was not bound. Why was she so quiet being next to a living human being? Well, I don't know. Maybe she's used to him a little bit. We well, do know the walkers do get accustomed to people. Okay, so that could be. That, that, that's a very reasonable... Uh, With Michonne's pets and all. Yeah. Um, because we know they stopped trying to attack her. And maybe we just didn't quite hear her at first. Maybe the piano music was drowning out her 
protesting at first. No, I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with uh, a residual memory. Residual memory of Resi- her father. Yeah, residual memory of her father and of sitting there having her hair brushed. All right, and uh, then having her scalp ripped, uh, a bit of her scalp ripped off, uh, brought her back to reality, and it's like, oh. This guy's a food source. Yeah, wait a minute. Yeah, okay. I, I shouldn't just be sitting here quietly. Excellent, thank you. Um, so she starts to struggle, and he subdues her with a bag over her head yep. and a straitjacket. Yeah, and gives her a kiss. And yeah, he does on the hair, which I, I don't know if I'd be doing that. Well, there was a bag over her head. <laughs> there was, the, that's true. The bag was the buffer. Yeah, I wouldn't Still. kiss a direct zombie. I would. I might, I don't even think I would kiss a zombie with a bag over its head. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I don't think that's a good idea at all. No. It sounds sort of creepy. Um, so while this is going on, the camera goes to the window and we see Michonne standing on the sidewalk outside looking up at his window. Yeah. Have you ever, uh, on a bright sunny day, have you ever stood outside and looked up uh, at a window that had, uh, there was ver- there was blinds in the window, right? Like okay. She's looking through blinds. Have you ever stood on a street and tried to look at a sex- second story window with uh, with blinds, even that are open? I don't know, probably. The glare, you can't see more than a couple of inches inside a building uh, on a bright sunny day. Right. So you're saying she wouldn't really see anything. She was looking at it, but she didn't see a damn thing. Right, okay. Uh, but she, her presence was felt. Well, yeah, she was just, uh, she was doing it to intimidate him. Uh, that's right. And it, I think it worked, because yeah. he looked out and was like, what's she doing down uh, there? I'd be scared. Well, she's frightening. Yeah. Um, that's the cold open. After the credits, we come back and we fade into the baby. Rick and Lori's new baby. Yeah. Um, now, what we're getting here kind of is Rick's perspective, and he's clearly not all together right now because oh, clearly. It's, he can't really hear or see straight. Everything is just kind of noise to him, and uh, uh, it's yeah, he doesn't really know what's going he's on. He's broken. He's totally broken. Definitely totally broken. broken. Didn't they mention that in the uh, in the panel that we'll see? We'll definitely see the moment that he breaks. Well, I think we've seen it. Uh, well, yeah, I absolutely agree. I'm just saying that uh, I think. Uh, uh, they mentioned that in in the panel that this uh, this moment was going to happen. It would be very obvious. Yes, it was very He's obvious. broken. He doesn't know what's going on. Um, but Carl takes the baby, and they start talking about how they're going to feed it. Uh, Herschel says the baby's healthy, which is nice that to is hear. Nice. But it won't survive if they don't get some formula. So Daryl steps up and offers to go out searching for formula. Maggie and Glenn offer to go with him. Um, while this is happening, Rip's Rip, 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 Rick grabs an axe from the ground and heads into the prison. Doesn't say a word, just picks up an axe and goes in. Yeah. So Maggie, Rick, uh, Maggie, uh, Glenn, and um, Daryl, Daryl, thank you, decide to take the motorcycle, but that means only Daryl and Maggie can go. Right, because they were going into an area that they knew was blocked off with traffic and there's no way a car would go. So Daryl said, I can only take one. Right. And Maggie said, I'll go. I'll go. Why not? I could use a motorcycle ride. Yeah. Uh, we see Rick going inside the prison, and he is just going on a zombie uh, slaughtering killing spree. Yep. Slaughtering zombie killing spree. There you go. Uh, there were a lot of fun kills as he was walking through there, mm-hmm. just hacking everyone in the head and wherever not, All wherever else. Fun. Yep. Uh, we go to Woodbury. The governor is giving another inspirational speech on the step of a house. Yep. Um, he says that there were nine of them in an apartment when they started. And all they had were crackers yeah. to eat. <laughs> and and look at us now, how far they've come, he says. And Andrea's in the crowd, and it really looks like she's totally bought into what he's selling. Oh, the look on her face is just so doughy-eyed. She loves the governor. There's my new man, she's yeah. thinking. Meanwhile, Michonne sneaks into the governor's house and gets her sword. 
Yep. So she's got her sword back, which is nice. Good thinking. Very good thinking. Now, she notices a diary of some kind with a bunch of pages of text in it. Uh, and and we've got a transcription of the text here. Don't I've we? transcribed the text. Do all we right. want to go through it all right now, or do we want to save this, or what do we want to do here? Let's no. Let's go through it a little bit. I, right. I I mean, there's a fair bit. So there's two pages of text, and then a list of names. Yes. So let's read what's on the text. Okay. On the so page one, uh, we have respond back to Anthony's uh, Anthony Smith's email as soon as possible. A little bit weird that he's talking about email, but it could have been a note pre-apocalypse. It could have been, but the next note is to do find more eggs. Ask John. They gave you the light bulbs and whiskey glasses. Uh, more notes on what to tell the town. They need to stay calm, and then power sources and water supply. These are all just you know random, semi-random scribblings. But that these notes lead me to believe that it's post-apocalypse. But email is bef- pre-apocalypse, and it's the only thing. It's like on the first page. It could be that you know he found a journal mm-hmm. that had that note in it, and then continued on. That's entirely possible. It could not be his note, is what you're saying. Yes, that's right. Right, okay. I, uh, that didn't occur to me, but uh, you're right. I think the hand... I couldn't tell you about the handwriting. The second page was neater than the first. So then it goes on to say, remember meeting something mayor, 9 a.m. at the small something place. I couldn't quite make it out. And then uh, around the corner to Mr. H. Mr. H. Is that from uh, Arrested <laughs> Development? Uh, Mr. H. I don't know. And then they <laughs> make the music. It's been a while since I've watched that show. Okay, today we... Uh, what does this say? Today made me wonder if being the governor or being the man in charge makes people feel like they actually have something to look up to slash feel like they've been taken care of. Something scribbles. I doubt that scribbles. <laughs> so some of it's hard to, to read, but it yeah. he's sort of writing about his role as the leader of this town. Yeah, I think this next sentence is uh, very telling. Uh, I believe that I'm a good leader. Sometimes I just need to relax. I love talking about my town and supporting it, just sometimes I need to find a way to relax, like a bottle of scotch and some classic Sinatra. It seems like a very low-key kind of way to relax, which is odd because of later things we'll talk about. Plan for tomorrow, it goes on to say, uh, I grew up always being told to be one step ahead myself, something to never stumble. Is what that yeah, says. that was a bit scribbly and hard to read. Yeah, so that's uh, that's page one. All right, page two is basically a uh, a list of things. So sanitation, garbage trucks for the city, that's underlined. Um, uh, check into hospitals, get information on superintendents of sanitation, uh, judiciary. Uh, finalize the budget for the second half of the year. That seems like a weird thing to have in the apocalypse. A budget i.e. street repair, road signs, new pavement. Why would they need any of this? Well, I mean, if they're upkeeping the town, it just, it does seem, I don't know, maybe eight months in, those are the kind of things that he's worrying about. New pavement, really? Well, I I don't know. I mean, if, yeah, I mean, I guess not a lot of vehicles go inside the town, but sometimes they do, but still. In the margin is scribbled, laws canceled due to primary legislation. (laughs) What does that even mean? I don't know. Uh, then there's uh, guards. Crime has increased 20%. Uh, I want my town to be completely crime-free. Uh, update police enforcement. New cars? Question mm-hmm. mark. Mm-hmm. Uh, enforce more public security. Food rationing. Uh, prices on various types of food increased 40%. Hopes of discreeting, dis- 
uh, decreasing at least 20% of that inflation within the next year. So things cost money in Woodbury. It certainly sounds like it, yeah. Yeah. Activities, get ideas from the people. Town meeting to be held every Thursday evening. Goals to be accomplished. Uh, tighter community, ideas for future events. Hearings, trials about sanitation laws. Occurs Thursday, circle, occurred Thursday, circled. So he circled that saying that that happened. They, uh-huh. have, they now have sanitation laws. It's interesting. Yeah. And then page three is a list of names. Well, we got an email from Tyler in the UK, and I just want to read his email about the names. He says, uh, my holy crap, did you see that moment from the episode, Say the Word, was when Michonne broke into the governor's house and looked into a diary he's been keeping. This is a little bit spoilery, everybody, for the novels. It contained the names of several characters from the Rise of the Governor novel. We see Brian, Bobby, and Nick, and the last name is Penny. We obviously know who that is now. This suggests the television show is following the same canon established in the novel, which is great to see. It is. So here's here's the list of names. Okay. Brian, Bobby, Nick, Alice, Susan, David, Emily, Brandon, Jennifer, Zachary, Alyssa, Drew, Taylor, Melissa... Holly Johnson, uh, Jonathan, sorry, uh, Richard, Keith, Lee, Elliot, Patrick, Elizabeth, and Penny, which is bold and underlined. So I assume these are names of other people in the town? I would assume so, or another list of some other people. Like some of these people never made it to the town if we're talking about the books. Yeah. Uh, Brian, Bobby, and Nick never made it to the town. Right. Um, and uh, we did actually see another name on this list later on in the episode. So this might be like the numbers in Lost. <laughs> Who are these people? <laughs> and we, yeah, and what do they mean? And what do they represent? And why are they there? So uh, about these notes in general, though, <clears throat> there's a lot of interesting stuff here. It's clear that the governor is taking his role seriously. Yep. Because he is trying to maintain um, laws and some sort of monetary system and keep the roads in good shape and get new vehicles and and not just let things go and try to reinvent everything. Yeah, or at least started to, because this book does descend into a series of pages and pages and pages of hash marks. That is true. So it, it ends at after Penny is bold and underlined. It's just the rest of that page is all hash marks. And then Michonne flips like three pages, four pages past that, and the book is just filled with hash marks. With little lines that he's little. drawn very neatly inside <clears throat> yeah. the lined page, inside the lined uh, rules of the page. You ever see Crumb? I just, uh, no. Uh, so Crumb is a documentary about Harry Crumb. The, he's uh, mm-hmm. an artist who did a bunch of uh, Rolling Stones stuff and right. uh, a bunch of album covers and such. This was a uh, documentary about him and his family. And his brother, who was, uh, and his family like literally are crazy. Uh, so his brother... Uh, started keeping a journal, and it descended into uh, little loops. He just drew little loops, and he filled volumes and volumes of volumes of notebooks filled with just little loops. Like all the margins, all the lines, everything was just filled to capacity with all these little loops. It's a, I, I think I may have seen that. That sounds familiar. Yeah, it's a very disturbing documentary. It uh, very, makes you very uncomfortable. Well, I just had a thought. Yeah. I know what the list of names is. What's that? The list of names, he's keeping track of people they've lost. And when they get to Penny, and that's when he he lost it, because the, the be. book ends after that. Yeah. He's keeping tracks of the names of people that have died, and uh, the last one is Penny. She's now dead. He's got her, as we know, because we saw earlier in the episode. But he's also too far gone to continue 
the work he was doing in trying to build Woodbury into something. Mm -hmm. That's my theory. Uh, <clears throat> I don't necessarily agree with that because of, and this gets into uh, spoiler of the book of uh, Road to Woodbury. Uh, so just the order of events doesn't right. support that. I, I I see your point, but uh, because we have two pages of notes on uh, you know being the governor of the town, he actually mm -hmm. actually even says governor being yeah. you know being the governor is it really a good thing, and then you know on the third page is when they have the list of names. Yep. And but then, so I'm not sure the order of events seems off. It's off a little bit, but I think I think they could just be mixing it up, you know, changing things around a little bit. That that's true. Um, so that's, she looks through Michonne, she's in there. She looks through this, uh, this book a little bit. Um, she, she goes to try to break into a locked room. Yeah, not very well. Not very well, but she, she like fiddled with the, the knife in the corner of the door. It's just like that does nothing. Well, okay. She's an expert with a sword, not so good with a lock picking yeah, knife. Bash the door in because that, you know, it's not going to work with that knife. Well, yeah, but she doesn't want anyone to know she was there. Yeah. But, At least not right away. Yeah. Okay. So what? Anyway, she's doing nothing. All right. But she hears someone coming, and she uh, she goes to hide, and in walk Merle, the governor, and Milton. Mm -hmm. So this is like the core leadership team for this whole town, Yep, I'm going to say, right here. These three guys I would agree with that. make it all happen. We have the muscle, we have the brains, and then we have the, gov the leader. The figurehead, yeah. yeah. So Milton starts complaining that they're using too much power and tells them he's, that he's working on an experiment that he needs the power for. And he asks them, the governor, to postpone tonight, saying, I need six, or I need ten, or maybe just six days to finish my experiment. I would have suggested he wait for a thunderstorm, because obviously he's building a Frankenstein monster of some kind. <laughs> and harness the lightning? Yes. The 1.21 gigawatts? Well, that's really time travel, but we're not, you know, yeah. I don't think they're building a time machine. I hope not. <laughs> Go. They're well, not going to get that kind of power. No, they... they they won't have power of that they would, magnitude. They would definitely need a lightning strike, but that's, you know, that's how Frankenstein's monster, Victor, got, right. uh, you know, finally energized. Well, thinking that he won't get a lightning strike, he wants the power uh, that they're using up for the barbecue, I guess. And he asked the governor to postpone, but the governor says, no way. He says, lighten up, have some fun. Yeah. For once. You can redo the experiment starting tomorrow. You can. Just start over. Yeah. Big deal. Uh, so, I mean, I guess they leave, and I guess Michonne snuck out a window, and uh, she ends up in sort of a real industrial-type-looking area, mm -hmm. and she finds some walkers locked in a cage. She looks at them for a minute, then opens the cage, and she has her sword with her now, so she displays some seriously amazing zombie-killing skills with that katana. She, yeah, it seems like she's very happy about getting some exercise. Yeah, some exercise, some practice, just, you know, I need, she's like, I needed this, you yeah. know? It seems like it. But uh, it was amazing. She slices one dude right in half. Yeah. It totally came out of nowhere. She crushed another guy's head with her boot, just like right to the ground. It was totally disgusting. Um, and there were just... A few amazing zombie kills here with this sword. It's the first time we've really seen her use it, you know? Now, uh, I'm just trying to think of the figures, the, uh, you know, the, the Walking Dead figures. We have two walkers. We had Rick and Michonne. I think one of the walkers was that slashed in half guy. You have them. the we latest? Not, to, no. not the latest. The first round of, uh, of there were comic book uh, characters. They weren't the t TV show characters, but they're well, the figures. Well, they, they no, but they. Oh, you're right. They did release a Michonne from the comic figure. Yes, they released a TV line too that she wasn't in because she wasn't on the show yet. Right. I don't think they would put out a Walker that was. No, I think they did the shot, 
in order to match the match the the uh, the figure. Oh. So oh. anyway, it just it reminded me of the figure for some reason. All right, whether it's literal or not literal, or I was just making it up as they went along, it reminded me of that. All right. Well, in any in any case, it was really really cool. I thought it, it was, was one of the one of the more awesome zombie kills we've seen. Mm. I think everything there. Um, she she finishes this off. Somebody comes out a door with a bucket full of zombie food. And, well, with uh, a bucket of red stuff. It could have uh, been jam. Uh, They're making jam in there. Uh, okay. Comes out with a bucket full of jam, tomato yeah. sauce. Uh, could have been anything. I don't know. Yeah. Food color, they water. Should, they know <laughs> you don't have to feed zombies. Uh, no, you do. Otherwise, they slowly starve to death, remember? we've Or starve, and they become more and more dormant. I don't think that uh, feeding them helps that, though. No, the feeding them is what keeps them active, and they wanted these zombies to be active. Really? Yes, because they had a special purpose, which we'll find out about soon. <laughs> so somebody <laughs> You've comes seen the out, jerk, right? Yes. He has a special purpose. He does? <laughs> yeah, don't you remember that whole part? It's like, well, I have a special purpose, my mommy told me. Yes, that's a funny movie. <laughs> it is a very funny movie. <laughs> Every time I hear the phrase special purpose, I have a special purpose. Well, good for you. <laughs> well, these zombies did too. And I'm going to say this was zombie food. And uh, we don't see who comes out, but it doesn't matter. The point is Michonne is caught in the act. Yeah, I I need more. Uh, I can't just assume that Michonne is caught by a single person with a bucket. Well, okay. I guess Michonne didn't really run away. No, like she, she sort gave of, up at that point, which yeah. is, I have a hard time believing. Well, that's what I mean. Caught in the act doesn't mean she was captured. It just means she was discovered. Oh, you saw me. Here's my sword. Take me to your leader. Yeah, kind of that sort of thing. Or maybe there were four more people coming out that door behind zombie food delivery person, and they overpowered her. Right. I need more information. Just somebody coming out and discovering her with a bucket is not enough for Michonne <laughs> to give up and be caught, in my mind. <laughs> All right. I, I need know. some assault rifles, something. Okay, well, let's let's just say that there were some assault I think rifles. It's, I think there's a gap here. All right. Well, we go to commercial. That's the gap. And when we come back, <laughs> the governor is uh, talking to Michonne. She's sitting in his office, I, I guess. And uh, he's questioning her about killing the zombies. Michonne tells him she knows about Penny, which mm-hmm. was interesting. And I think this takes the governor off his guard a little bit. Now, she did see the list, right? Mm-hmm. And she, he, she, she did see the, you know, Penny's name. Mm-hmm. And I assume that uh, she does have special powers and the fact that she was standing outside his window when he was wrestling with Penny and said her name, because he said her name at that point, mm-hmm. uh, that she both saw and heard him through that window. Yes. I don't see why not. Okay. Other than your crazy explanation earlier about not Try seeing it. through a window. Try it. <laughs> you have to wait till summer, unfortunately, but You know what? It was it was a bluff. She saw the name underlined. Clearly it was something special. Yeah. And she bluffed him. She said, I know about Penny and hoping that it would mean something to him. See that I could buy. And she was right. I mean, people do this all the time in, in cop movies and science fiction and so on. Absolutely. Happened in Downton Abbey last night. <laughs> See, there you go. <laughs> Bluff your way through. Yeah. Um, but I think her mentioning it took the governor off his guard a little bit, which was which oh, was absolutely. interesting because he sort of, he paused and was like, you know about Penny? You know about Penny? Yeah. Uh, but he continues to tell her that that um, she has the wrong idea about him. He's sticking with the, I'm really a good guy right. kind of message here. He walks behind her, holding her sword, talking about uh, that if he let everyone break the rules, it would invite anarchy, and he can't have that. 
And he suggests that she should stick around and join the research team. Yeah. <laughs> They've got a research team, which I, I think, think that's is... that's a euphemism for people that go out and uh, scout for things. No, 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 no. The research team is Merle, um, uh, the doctor. What's his name again? Milton? I just, I just said it. Merle Milton, um, Martinez, and Red Pants Guy. That's the research team. Right. Because later on, they go out to capture, to get yes. the zombies. I don't think that they're is. necessarily a research team. I think that they they go out and do things outside the wall. Right, but he's called, they're called the research right. team, and he thinks she'd be good with that team because she's good with the sword. I, I agree. I just, I don't, I think it's a euphemism for that group of people instead of an actual team that does research. Oh, well, how depend, I, I guess. But, I mean, if you just look at it, those are the ones who do that stuff. They're the research team. They right. probably have a greeter. They've got a research team. They've probably got a, you know... See, I would have called them the Expeditionary Force, <laughs> personally. That's also a good good name. <laughs> yeah. But uh, then when they come back, they're they're doing the research. So whatever. Expeditionary slash research enterprises. Team slash force. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, as he's saying this, though, Michonne jumps up, grabs the sword, spins around, and puts it to his neck. Yep. She doesn't kill him. Nope. Instead... She doesn't even cut him. No. Didn't like, even poke him with that thing. Nope. She but, was, uh, and that thing was rock steady. Did you see that? Well, yeah. She, like I said, she knows what she's doing with that thing. Uh, he may have crapped his pants, though. I mean, I think he pooped his pants. <laughs> if if you're gonna do one thing with a sword at your neck, unexpectedly, yep, crapping your pants is hardly the worst. Yep. Um, she doesn't kill him. She backs away and leaves. Yep. So, I'm gonna leave uh, now. She just he got the message though. Yeah. I think uh, I have a sword. You don't have a sword. I'm gonna leave. I'm getting out of here. See you later. So we go to Glenn. He's uh, back at the prison, of course, digging some graves. In the field that we're going to plant uh, crops? I think they've decided that one section of the field will be for burying people because they have enough people they need to bury. <clears throat> I'm just thinking back and wondering what's upslope, downslope. That seemed like it was upslope of where they were going to plant crops. That's a bad idea. No, really? I think it was downslope. I think... Oh, downslope from the, uh, from the prison, yes. From the... I think it was upslope from... The rest of the yard. So things will run down where their food is, water and such? Yeah, that could be poisonous. Okay. Um, maybe they didn't think of that. Yeah, maybe there's a whole other field they're going to plant crops in. Yeah, so he's digging graves. Oscar and Axel come over to offer some help and give their condolences yep. for everyone who's died. Um, Glenn sees Herschel at the fence, and he leaves Oscar and Axel there to finish digging the graves. He said, I need two more. He did. So he's digging three graves. That's right. This will become important in a little bit. Yes, it will. He goes to talk to Herschel, and uh, Herschel tells him uh, that Rick's still inside, so Glenn says he'll go in and get him. Right. And uh, he also explains that he'd trade any number of people for one of theirs. Yeah. He's uh, kind of sad that it happened, and he thinks that you know just killing all the prisoners off the top would have been the smart thing to do. Yeah. I'm because not, it would have avoided all this. Yeah, he said sometimes he wishes that it just would have killed them all on sight. Right. We you, go you can't you can't do that though. You can't uh you can't go back and say, I wish I would have done this and this and this and then everything would have been all right. Well it's called second guessing and people do it all the time. Yeah. I don't know. Yep. Um we go back to Andrea. Uh she comes to see the governor. He's explaining what Michonne did, including he tells her that they have captive biters. Yep. And she kind of questions, what are they doing with captive biters? And he tells her that uh, he's not ready to tell her yet. That's still a secret, <laughs> my lady. Yes, it is. Uh, but he finishes, he sort of says, we aren't barbarians and she can't behave that way, meaning Michonne. Right. 
Um, and he also says his back is against the wall, implying that he's going to have to do something drastic, like kick them out of there. Yeah. If Michonne doesn't start behaving herself. Right. She has been a bad girl. Um, at this point, Andrea goes directly to talk to Michonne, and Michonne insists they have to leave. Um, and uh, because this, she says, this place is not what you think it is. Mm-mm. This place is, uh, is evil. Um, and she also thinks that they won't let them leave. Right. Even though they've repeatedly said, you're free to go anytime. You can leave anytime. Mm-hmm. That's like a drug addict. They can just say, I can quit anytime. Right. I don't, I don't need to do drugs. I don't need to drink. I can quit anytime I want. And as we know, that's usually not the case. That's right. <clears throat> so back with Glenn, he's inside the prison following Rick's trail of bodies. There are zombies everywhere. Rick is, uh, Glenn is going through. He finds him. And he tries to bring him out, but Rick is still way far gone. Yeah, he's way broken. He is way broken. I actually yelled at the TV, don't touch him. Like when Glenn was walking up to Rick, I'm like, don't, do not touch him. He's not going to react well. Yeah, you don't, don't touch him. Yeah. And as soon as he touched him, he reacted very badly. Well, it looks like Rick doesn't even recognize Glenn, really. Like, he's yeah. just single-minded at this point. He doesn't, he hasn't, he isn't registering anything else around him. Um, yes, when Glenn touches him, Rick slams him up against the wall doesn't say anything, just sort of breathes on him for a few minutes, a few seconds, and then hurls him away and continues on his way down the prison dark hallways. Yep. And Glenn is like, what the F is wrong with that guy? You got to give him some time and some space. Yeah, let him do his thing. And get the hell out of his way for a while. Yeah, that's... He's dangerous to himself, to others, to everyone. Well, they don't want him to hurt himself. Well, no, but uh, what are you going to do, yeah, just let him let him go. He's going to sort it out. Well, they are in a prison. <laughs> they might have, you know, ability to deal with this. Maybe lock him up, let him cool down. Yeah, handcuff him. But at the same time, you got to you got to you got to capture him first. I'm sure they have a rubber room in there someplace. <laughs> That's right. Here, go in the padded room. You'll be fine. <laughs> Run up against the walls for a while. Um, we go to commercial. When we come back, we see some sort of solar-powered contraption. Making noise. Making noise and spinning. I was like, what the hell is this thing? Yeah. Um, a truck drives up, and the research team gets out. Merle Milton, Red Pants Guy, and I guess that was Martinez? That other guy? I don't know, but Thomas, I think, is the Red Pants Guy. Oh, he has a name? Yeah. Oh, good, Thomas. Thomas or Tim, or it starts with a T. I like Red Pants Guy. Well, yeah, Red Pants Guy. What's he got in his pocket? Yeah, we'll that's never his, know. That's his whole name in my head. <laughs> so did you have any idea what they were doing here? Like oh, yeah, before? I knew immediately. You did? Yeah, right away. As soon as I saw the thing spinning and then it was making noise, I'm like, they're attracting zombies. And uh, I didn't f- couldn't figure out exactly how they were capturing them at first mm-hmm. until uh, the truck just started backing up. And I'm like, oh, there are holes in the ground. See, I, I never, it didn't occur to me at all. I was like, what is this sort of thing? Is it like a wind generator or something? Like, what are they doing? And then that's exactly it. They're attracting and capturing zombies. It's a reverse scarecrow. It, that's right. It attracts <laughs> the zombies that's instead right. of frightens them away. That's right. We have an episode title. <laughs> <laughs> reverse scarecrow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so they get the zombies in a net, and uh, Merle is very excited. Like, he, he loves his job now. He really does. You know? He is trapping those zombies. He is excited. Milton is apparently looking for specific traits in the zombies. There's something in her eyes. He, he says. says there's something in its eyes. And this is probably related to his power experiment that he's doing, yeah. I'm going to guess. He needs subjects for the experiment. Well, obviously his experiment has to do with zombies. 
<laughs> sure. It doesn't have to do with growing a new kind of uh, tomato. Probably not. Although that would be useful. That would probably be very useful. But uh, I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that his experiments have to do with zombies. All right. So they've got a bunch. They kill some of them, but I guess they take some of them back, too. I would assume so. And before they go, they pull out one of their teeth. Did you notice that... Uh, uh, I don't I don't like teeth stuff. I was sort of grossed no, out. No, it this. was kind of disturbing. I don't like finger stuff. Right. When they start lopping off fingers and breaking them and, and such. Um, Milton? No. The other guy. What's his name? Martinez. No, the... the red the, pants guy. Not the red pants guy. <laughs> Merle. It's, it's Milton? That's the guy's name? Milton is the scientist. Oh, okay, it's Milton. Did you notice that he was wearing duct tape armor? Uh, I well, he almost got bit in the arm. That's because he had duct tape on his sleeves. It looked like it was probably something more than duct tape, but it just looked like he would duct tape his sleeves. And when the zombie went to bite him, it didn't break his duct tape armor. And and uh, Merle went, uh, "I'll never make fun of that coat again," or something like that. I'm. Oh, that's uh, interesting. I didn't. I I caught that the zombie tried to bite him, and I guess didn't break the clothing. But I didn't really notice if there's anything there other than just a you know, a thick sleeve. Yeah, it was uh, some kind of uh, protection that he was wearing, and it looked like he just covered his sleeves in duct tape. So I'm going to go home and make myself a duct tape armor suit. Yeah, yeah, that could be an amazing Halloween costume. Yeah, that would be awesome. Halloween was, uh, what, last week, two weeks ago? Yeah, so you got all year to figure it out. Yeah, duct tape armor. That's a really good idea, because duct tape is strong. It is. Like, you couldn't bite through duct tape. Uh, You can rip it with your teeth quite easily, Yeah, but biting through it would be tough. It would be tough. A leather jacket would do probably better. Yeah, but I mean, failing, you know, with, with if that's unavailable, duct tape your clothes isn't bad. Right. Maybe not so comfortable, <laughs> but uh, it would work. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can make a duct tape wallet. You can make, there's so much you can make out of duct tape. You can buy books on what to make out of duct tape. You can make duct tape clothing. You can make all kinds of stuff. Yes, you can. Duct well, tape is wonderful. Duct tape uh, hat. I'd wear a duct tape hat. Damn right. See, it's it's duct tape and WD-40. It's like the force, man, duct tape. Yeah. Have you heard this one? No. It has a light side, a dark side, and it binds the universe together. Nice. <laughs> if, it, uh, if it moves and it's not supposed to, uh, use duct tape. Right. If it, if it doesn't move and it's supposed to, you use WD-40. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> that is it. In, uh, in, in college, in university... I once duct taped my fridge closed because I had somebody coming over and I didn't want them to get in the fridge and get at what was in the fridge. What was in the fridge? I don't remember. It was something that, that had couldn't definitely couldn't be eaten at that time. It needed to be saved for something like a cake or something like that. This. And uh, I duct taped the fridge closed because I knew the person that was coming over would, first thing they'd do is go to the fridge and find something to eat. You'll tell me off air what this was? Uh, no, I I don't remember what it was in you the fridge. You duct taped the fridge closed and you have no idea what was in there? I don't recall. Dude, it was a long time ago. All right. I duct taped the fridge closed. It could not be opened without either cutting or removing that duct tape. So it worked. Did it? You could not open that fridge door. So your friend was completely stymied by the duct tape? <clears throat> well, I mean, had he gone a knife or something, it wouldn't have worked so well. The biggest downside to all of this was when we removed it, we had to then take all the... Oh yeah, the, the gummy gum? uh, gummy glue tape off that yeah, was coated in the fun. fridge. So no, that was not fun and uh, totally not worth it. Me and uh, this couple of girls I went to high school with, actually, a whole group of people were out uh, out near the Sioux, and me and Kristen duct taped Marie Hellstrom to a pole. <clears throat> that doesn't sound very nice. Well, no, it was, it was kind of fun. All right, how long how long did you leave her there? Oh, we didn't leave her there for very long at all. We just kind of. 
I pulled the duct tape out. She grabbed one end. I grabbed the other. When she walked by the pole, we ran around her a couple of times, and she went, hey, why are you duct taping me to a pole? We're like, eh, we thought it would be, be fun. And then we cut her loose. And then you were arrested and <laughs> sent to jail for three years. Good fun. Uh, all right, so... We cut to Glenn and Maggie arriving at a daycare of some kind, and they start searching for supplies. They kill a possum, or, or an opossum. <laughs> an opossum that didn't play opossum. No, it did not. It was very much awake and making noise and eating something. They don't do that when they're threatened. Now, correct, I, I, you know, I'm not an opossum expert. They play dead. But they play possum. They pretend that they are dead when they are threatened. Now, maybe they didn't. It, is it possible they just don't hear that well and they didn't know that they were coming? Because they were sneaking in. Maybe he didn't hear them. And he was busy in a closet it, it, behind oh, a he door. Hissed. Yeah, when they opened the door. Maybe he just didn't know they were there. Anyway, I, yeah, I just, my instinct or my my brain is telling me that possum should have played possum when it was threatened. While Merle arrowed him and he said, hello, dinner. Yeah, I'm like, why did, my first thought like after he shot him was Not like, Merle. why did, why, uh, Daryl, why did you shoot the opossum? And I thought, oh. It's food. Yeah. To, to him, it's food. <laughs> to eat. Everything uh, that's not a human that's living is food to right. him. Uh, but they start looking through the kitchen, and they find some water, some supplies, and some powdered formula. Hooray! Baby formula. Hooray. Now, it's funny. It didn't occur to me that, like, I, I thought of last week when we were talking about how to feed this baby, that formula would be long expired. But powdered formula lasts forever. We used to use that when my kids were babies, and it does last a long time. So well, that's good. You still have some? No. You sure? Positive. I got lots of the containers that it came in because they're good for holding nuts and bolts and screws and small tools and stuff like that. Right. But the actual formula is gone. Okay. <clears throat> um, so we go back to Woodbury. The party is still going on. Michonne and Andrea are walking towards the gate, getting ready to leave, I guess. Michonne talked her into it. Uh, Merle stops them and says it's almost curfew. Um, and they can't go, but he goes to talk to one of the guys standing on the gate. I think he said his name was Brownie. That's what I got. Brownie? Yeah, I got to go talk to Brownie and, you know, just give me a minute. Andrea tries to go over to talk to him, and he turns around and says in a very unfriendly way, step back. You're going to have to step back right now. I'm in charge here, is what right. he's saying. Right. Um, Michonne kind of thinks that this proves her point about them not letting anybody leave. But then Merle opens the gate and suggests they find shelter before nightfall. Mm -hmm. So he's like, go on. Good you're, luck. You're free to go. Good luck. Uh, before they leave, though, Andrea and Michonne start arguing about going. Andrea wants to stay. And, you know, after a bit of arguing, Michonne basically says, are you coming or not? And uh, that was that. Right. <clears throat> and then Michonne leaves. And did you get the feeling that the guy was going to shoot her? No. You didn't? No, he, that's he, too overt. Well, I, I know. I, I knew in my heart that he was not going to shoot her for various reasons. But I couldn't help but thinking this is, you know, this is, uh, they're teasing us. They, they want us to think that he's going to shoot her as uh, she walks outside the gate. No, I think, uh, I think if I may make a prediction. Please do. Somebody's going to go after her and capture her and bring her back. And she's going to be a prisoner. Mm -hmm. Right. But I think that uh, letting her leave was... Basically, uh, she's gone. Like she's uh, she's done bad things. They've already given up on her as a an upstanding member of their society. Andrea, on the other hand, is uh, you know coming into the fold. So we have to give her a reason to accept this community even more. So we let Michonne go, or appear to let her go. Andrea's like, see. We can leave anytime we want. I'm happy. Everything's fine. But they can't let her go because uh, Michonne's 
done bad things in the governor's eyes, so they'll have to go after her. But what do they care? I mean, if he if he doesn't like her and she's done bad things, why not let her walk out of there? She's never getting back in. I mean, not easily. <clears throat> they got the, And why would she want to? It's pretty clear she just wants to get away from these people. Their sphere of influence is larger than just the uh, just a town, right? And they they need to control a territory that's larger than the town. Having her out there means that she's an unknown threat. Right, she's an unknown element in the wild. And revenge, right? <laughs> and revenge. It gives her time to plan something. Yeah. Well, not not, not just her revenge, but getting revenge on her. Oh, because I see. Because she, uh, she wronged the governor, and oh my God, she knows about Penny. That's right. So. I still, though, think they'd probably just let her go and be done with it. But in TV land, those things are never so easy. Yeah. Yeah, can you imagine if that was the end of Michonne? Like, that's the last we see of her? Well. Until, like, season seven? Yeah, that's right. Everyone was dying to have her on the show. We get her for three episodes, <laughs> and then she's gone for three years. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyways, she walks out of there. She never turns, never looks back. Andrea watches her go through the crack in the gate, and uh, she doesn't look back. She just walks away. We go to commercial. When we come back, Andrea's sitting on a bench. The governor comes over and tries to cheer her up, offering her a drink, and some company, and uh, she takes him up on his offer, and they walk away arm in arm. Yay. So they're getting closer and closer. It looks like she's fallen for this guy big time, Mm -hmm. which is weird. From our perspective, from her perspective, it makes total sense, the character's perspective. Back at the prison, uh, Daryl and Maggie return, which is exciting. Inside, Daryl takes the baby and starts feeding it. Of all the people to feed the baby, did you think it was going to be him? No. Neither did I. But he he's always been the sweet one. He has been of the two and he it looks like he's he's done this before. It looks like he knows how to handle a baby or at least it looks like for whatever reason he really wants to handle this baby and make, you know, make good with with the baby. <laughs> Cuz otherwise that baby would have hated that guy. Right. Um he asks if they've named it yet and Carl goes to list off all the women who have died and or are unknown, have a status of unknown on the show. And the names he lists are Sophia, Carol, Andrea, Amy, Jackie, Patricia, and his mom, Lori. Right. I I sort of thought, man, a lot of women have died on this show. Yeah. But I guess a lot of people in general have died. Well, yeah. I mean, they could have named him Jimmy or or named her Jimmy or Dale. Shane. Shane. That would have been appropriate. T-Dog. (laughs) T-Dog. Instead, Daryl suggests Little Ass Kicker. Yep. And uh, everyone has a good laugh about that. Little they, ass. They didn't kicker. decide on the name, though, right? They did not s- s- decide on a name, and uh, we don't know what that name is going to be yet. We know what it is from the comic, but let's not go there. So we cut to Rick, and he enters the boiler room where Lori died. Now I am going to. Uh, well, he sees a big puddle of blood and gore, but he doesn't see her body. Right. Interesting. And he picks up the bullet. He picks up the bullet. Um, that bullet, I mean, why was it just lying there on the ground? Well, it went through, well, uh, Carl shot her, mm-hmm. right? It went, the, I assume he shot her in the head. Mm-hmm. And uh, people's skulls in this world are very, very soft. Yes. So it went all the way through it, through, and, and just was lying there on the floor. And just ended up lying there on the floor. Yeah. Uh, okay, well... Um, Yeah, I don't know. I sort of thought maybe he didn't shoot her. Maybe this bullet either, 
you know, went through another part of her body and is stuck there on the floor, or he didn't shoot her altogether. Plus, there's no body, so where is she? Uh, What's going on here? They've already collected the body. Well, that's the thing. I don't know that anyone did come to collect the body. Glenn was in there. Uh, When? No. When he went to help Rick. Yeah, but he didn't follow Rick in there. He didn't go in there. Here's, here's, Here's the thing. When I first watched this scene, I was confused. I was like, what's going on? So the next thing that happens is Rick hears uh, a walker nearby. He goes over to it, and it's a walker with a distended stomach, and uh, it's just sort of sitting there. Yep. And I'm like, is that Lori? But it's not. It's not. It was clearly not. a male walker. Yeah. But at first, I was like, nobody, and it looks like she dragged herself away. I No, I think that's when they came to collect her. They pulled her out of there. Okay, well... Here's the thing. <clears throat> Nobody collected her because I was confused by this scene until I watched AMC's Talking Dead after right. the show. Okay. Um, but before I get into that, what Rick does is he sh- puts the gun in the mouth, shoots the walker through the head. Neck. Through the neck. I guess enough of the head. <laughs> <laughs> and then he takes out his knife and starts stabbing, or a knife, and starts stabbing that zombie in the belly repeatedly. Well, it's, he started cutting it first. Like he was, he, he he actually made like a surgical incision. Did he? I think, see. No, he didn't just start stabbing. He made a cut first. So what was he doing? He was just kind of like, what was it like when, uh, you know, because this had a distended belly and his wife was pregnant. It's like, what was it like in here when they were cutting into her? Or so, is he so far lost it that he thinks this is her and he's trying to deliver the baby? No, I think it's just kind of a, um, you know, what's it, what was it like kind of thing. I wish I was there for the moment. I wish I could have been there to help. Maybe I can, you know, sort of relive uh, or try and figure out what it was like to be there at that moment that I wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And so he started doing that and then it obviously made him insane. And so well, he just started stabbing. Well, I was... I, I didn't love this scene because I didn't think it was clear enough what was going on here. And I, I don't need everything spelled out for me, but uh, some people on our Facebook page posted the same thing, that it was just kind of poorly done and you couldn't really figure out what was going on. And I am uh, I am more inclined to feel that way after watching AMC's Talking Dead. Greg Nicotero was on. He's the director for this episode. Right. And when Chris Hardwick asked him about asked him about this, he said, he clarified his words that this zombie came and ate Lori, consumed her body. That's what they were intending with the puffy belly. Really? Yes. They didn't take her body away. That's why I was trying to steer you away from that. He said that the zombie came, ate her body, ate her up. So we got an email, a couple, one from Sean in Vancouver and one from Jason in Missouri, but Sean, on the same topic, and Sean writes, my holy crap, did you see that moment of this week, is the discovery that the fat belly zombie ate Lori. Greg Nicotero confirmed this on Talking Dead. Her hair is still in his mouth. Gross. My question is, where are the bones? Are we expected to believe that the zombie ate Lori, skeletal structure and all? I've never seen one of the zombies eat human bones before, especially all 206. Yeah, I have... I have reservations. Like, even though Greg Nicotero said it, he's the director of the episode, obviously he's read the script. Yes. Okay. Uh, I don't buy it. 
Well, this is the thing. It sounds ridiculous that a zombie would come and eat her whole body, bones and all, and there would be nothing left. He'd be, uh, he'd have to literally be twice as big as he was before he ate a whole person. Well, he would, and there, in the time frame, there would be no way for him to do that in the time frame. It's, it's what, been a few hours, maybe? I mean, a maybe snake six hours? can eat its own body weight. Like a, a full-grown anaconda can eat a full, like a full-grown deer. Right, but the whole deer is inside it. And it's yeah, it's the size just of this deer. big thing, and it's just it's going to sit there. And, you, and uh, when an anaconda does that, it does not move for a couple of months or at least weeks. Right. So I have two problems. One, it's it's beyond the realm of possibility that this zombie ate every last part of her body. Yeah. And two, it if that's really what they were intending, they missed it. They totally missed it. Completely missed it. There is no way, um, at least from my perspective, as an audience member watching this, you could get that um, realization. Okay, so they probably realized that mm-hmm. when they when they edited the thing together, and they're like, "Yeah, that doesn't make any sense." Uh, Greg, you better go on uh, Talking Dead, and uh, we better feed him a question to ask about this, so that we can explain to the audience what's going on. Right. So they did that, and it's a dumb answer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they they should have said something else. This just happened to be a guard that was, you know, had a pot belly and you know, my explanation makes more sense to me than than the director. Exactly. <laughs> they came and took the body away. Even if he said, you know, Carl shot her, but he you know, maybe he only got her ear or something and she dragged herself away and she's still in the room somewhere. Like, you know, I don't know. There's 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 other things that they could have done here than that zombie ate her entire body. They could have cut this whole scene. Uh, it would have made more sense if they just cut this whole scene. Well, the problem is, to your point about Rick stabbing this fat zombie, there is sort of symbolism there, right? Yeah. But what they should have done is had her body lying there on the ground. Well, they you can't know? do that without the actress, Right. Right, but I mean, they shoot that scene at the same time they shoot the birthing scene from the previous episode. But I'm just saying it's, it's probably too late by that by right. this point. I mean, it seems like it got out of hand, and this uh, this kind of thing was just uh, it did not come together. They right? couldn't fix it basically. They couldn't fix it. So what I'm saying is, you cut the whole scene. Mm-hmm. Like uh, you can cut to the 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 end part that we're going to cover in a, in a little little bit with Rick just sitting there. Uh, it would have made more sense than him going through this whole rigmarole of what's going on here. And, uh, you know, if they hadn't shown anything, I would have just assumed that the big streak of blood was them coming to collect Lori's remains for uh, burial. For burial, yeah. I I guess so. I mean, that would have made more sense. I think that would have left a bit of a gap, uh, but, a, you know, of Rick arriving there and then that's the, us not showing them... I mean, them not showing us in him interacting with the body at all. Because if the body was there, you'd think he would have done something. Like, knelt down and said goodbye to his wife or something like that. Or, son of a bitch, you <clears throat> ate my wife. You know? just right. I know you couldn't have him say anything in this episode, but uh, he could have mumbled something that, you know, fed the audience some information. Maybe Crazy Rick was cutting and stabbing that zombie because he wanted to get at his wife's remains. I mean... Well, yeah. But that, the problem is none of that came across, right? Yeah. It just it just didn't work. No, at all. this this that, that that explanation right from the director's mouth confuses me. Yeah. And even though it's supposed to make things clear, uh they missed their mark with this this scene, I think. Totally. Instead, uh they go to commercial and when we come back, we're back in Woodbury. There's loud music playing. Everyone is gathering on some bleachers. It's now an evening or nighttime. 
Um, Andrea and the governor walk up, still arm in arm, yep. or, or you know, canoodling a little bit. And uh, what's about to happen here is that there is going to be some sort of fight in a ring of zombies. A Thunderdome. A Thunderdome it of zombies. It is time for Thunderdome. Yes, it is. Two men enter, one man leave. Uh, yeah, in, in, a, in a fight to the death scenario. Well, that's Thunderdome. Right. But both men left in this case. Spoiler. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, Merle fights another guy. So Merle and Martinez are having their fight. And the walkers are chained up. So the walkers are like the danger zone. You know, don't get yeah. too close to them. Um, Andrea reacts, reacts badly to all of this. She's like, how the hell can you do this? She goes to leave, but the governor explains that people need entertainment. And he also tells her that it's all staged because the walkers have no teeth. Yeah. I still think the walkers could do a little bit of damage if you, you know, fell back into one. Well, yeah. But still. Anyway. Um, that doesn't really make her feel any better, Andrea. And she says that you're, you're teaching the people to not be afraid of walkers is what you're doing. And that's bad. You should be teaching them to be afraid of walkers because they're scary. That's my whole point with that. Uh, you remember the Dish Network and uh, that whole thing they did on the streets of New York? Yep. When they uh, they dressed up zombies and let them loose on uh, real life society to see how they would react, I do remember. That's a bad idea. You're getting people used to zombies. They're not so bad. They are bad. They are bad. You should kill them on sight <laughs> if you can. If you can't, you should run. That's right. Uh, well, that's what they're doing here. These people are like cheering on the fight, not worried about the zombies. Now, maybe everyone in the crowd knows that it's sort of staged, and they're just there for the good fun. Yeah. But regardless, it's really not kind of cool. And Andrea put, put doesn't think so. Put on a play, you know? Yeah. A people, community theater. Have people dress up as zombies. There's, there, I saw a, a band. There was a bass player and a guitar player at the uh, at the picnic. Right. In the background. Have, you know, get a gazebo, put together a band, a jug band. I think that would be a hell of a lot of fun. <laughs> a jug band. Uh, what do you call the guy who plays the, like, washboard thing? Is it a washboard? It's a washboard. All he right. plays the washboard. And you can also play the saw. That's right. The you get saw. a bow and a saw and uh, a tub. There's all kinds of stuff. You don't. Anything can be a drum. I'm sure there are plenty of musical instruments kicking around in Woodbury. To, there was a guitar in the uh, the governor's uh, apartment, just sitting on a shelf. Yeah. Well, they've got what they need, and you know what? The music that they were playing seemed was awfully loud, and it kind of had that live band feel to it. But I don't think it was live. Oh, it sounded it was, way too electric. Yeah. Let's. Well, oh. uh, it was. Anyway, so, <laughs> I, I, but I'm not the governor. I don't, uh, you know, I, I don't have his, you know, sense of propriety for, uh, you know, town entertainment. Yeah, he seems to think this is the best choice yeah. for entertaining his people. Um, reenact Star Wars. Put on a play oh, and reenact Star Wars. That is a brilliant idea. Yeah, I stole that from, uh, there was a movie about dragons. Uh, there was a dragon. It had uh, Batman and... How to Train Your Dragon. No, it was a, re- a live action. I think it was called oh, Reign of Fire. Reign of Fire. Reign of Fire is about the post-apocalypse when dragons came back to the world and completely burned everything because all they can eat is ash. I kind of liked that movie. I'm not oh, gonna, I'm, I'm no, not afraid to admit it. I like that movie. All right. And one of the, my favorite scenes is when they were putting on a play for the kids and they were reenacting Star Wars. It was badly done. It was you know a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy and they got all kinds of things wrong and they were doing uh, their own uh, you know, stage directions, like they were announcing, you know, and he knew that he was his father and all this kind of stuff. And it was absolutely amazing. Even, you know what's funny? Even in Star Wars, they reenact Star Wars at one point. 
Because <laughs> 3PO is telling the story to the Ewoks in Jedi. Exactly. So why not you know, reenact Star Wars? Yeah, I don't think you need uh, a gladiatorial uh, Thunderdome kind of thing. All you need is a, a gazebo with a band and maybe reenact Star Wars half every of, now and again. Half of us could probably recite most of the lines. Reenact Back to the Future. My wife could recite all the lines to that movie. I think we should do this just for fun. <laughs> Put together a, uh, a Star Wars reenactment night. Oh, God. We'll just act it out. I bet you a lot of people have done that, but why not? We'll have to record it all, you know, and release it to the people. That's right. <laughs> um, where the hell are we? Uh, <laughs> near the end. Yeah, near the end. So uh, Merle wins the fight. Nobody gets eaten by a zombie, and uh, that's that. <clears throat> now it's dawn at the prison. It's the next morning. Daryl walks out to the three graves, and he puts a Cherokee rose. He's big on those. He, he puts is. one of them down on one of the graves and we are supposed to assume this is Carol's grave. What did they bury? What did they bury? Who knows? They don't have a body that we know of. There was three graves. There was three mounds of dirt. Right. They one's, didn't get Lori. One's for Lori. They didn't what, get her. What did they bury? No, nothing. They just, they just, yeah, they, I don't they know. They dug a grave and then they filled it back in? Yes. They f- filled it with dirt, I guess. What are they? Uh, that doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. One T-Dog is in one of them. Okay, that I can understand. T-Dog is in one of them. Done. Although I still don't even think that they would have had time to go get T-Dog's body. And they take had it all out. night. But let's just say they did. And Lori's body was eaten by the zombie, so there's no body there. Right. And Carol's not dead. Well, I'm, I'm just saying right now. Yes, I would agree with that. But the fact that they uh, have a buried something. And Daryl seems to think she's dead. Did and, they bury the scarf? They, they could have buried the scarf. Buried the scarf. But even that, uh, I'm not so sure that was her scarf. Because we saw her wearing it as she ran out that door into the bright white light, which is kind of a uh, allegory to death. It really kind of is. But if they, I'm just going to say... If the door opened and there was a bright light and it was filled with her friends and family, then it would be an allegory to death. Okay. We were a bright almost... light from a dark uh, you know, prison of a zombie <laughs> apocalypse, to me, means escape and freedom. Absolutely. I'm with you. But it, there's a fine line. Yeah. Freedom, right? Have you ever dug a hole and filled it back in? Um, yes. Is the hole uh, a mound after you're done or a divot? The hole is a divot. Yes, it is. These were all mounds. <laughs> yes, There's they were. something in there. They didn't just fill them back in. They have to put something in there. Okay. Well, you know what? I think if they killed Carol off screen and like this, I'm going to be pissed. I don't... I'll be pissed, too. This... Yeah, she has to come back. Super cheap. Now, I'll tell you one more thing about Talking Dead. Nicotero confirmed, and I put that in quotes, that Carol is dead on Talking Dead. He's lying. I think this is misinformation. Now, people on our Facebook page, we were talking about this a little bit last night after the episode, and people there seem to think he misspoke. And and they seem to think he realized it as soon as he said it, because he said something about yes, Carol is dead, and then shut up, crossed his arms, and sort of leaned back Let's in the go to chair the tape. a little bit. Well, we can go to the tape later. You have it? No, but I'm sure we can <laughs> find it somewhere. Uh, I'd like to see uh, exactly what he said and what his body language was. Right. I was I was so surprised to hear him say it that, yeah, she's dead when I was watching it. I didn't notice anything that happened right after it. But everyone else who was watching it came to the Facebook and was like, I think he effed up. I think he said something he wasn't supposed to. And... So he's, he, I think he was put in a tough position on this, this episode. He had to come up with an excuse for Lori's body being gone. 
And then he revealed that Carol is dead when I don't think she is. Was he drunk? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I, who knows? Was he going? Is he having marital problems? He, he's, <laughs> he's under a lot of stress. Yeah. He seemed perfectly normal. You know, he was his regular intelligent self. And then he did all this. So I don't know. I'm going to be pissed if Carol's dead off screen because I like Carol. I think she was becoming a good character. She was becoming like T-Dog. She had a bit more of a role this this season, I think. Yeah. And then they're, she's, they're going to have her run out of a door and then just be dead. I mean, come on. Yeah. At the, at the very least, they should have shown them having some sort of funeral and putting the bodies in the graves. If they'd shown her body, I would have been, all right, fine. I guess she didn't survive. And now they're acknowledging that. But they don't even do that. Maybe. I'm all angry about the, this episode. The end of this episode really kind of uh, fell apart, I think, production-wise. Because mm-hmm. maybe uh, he misspoke, or not misspoke, but was kind of filling in a gap about uh, Lori being eaten to help help explain something that really meant something completely different. But it didn't portray that completely different thing, so they tried to explain it by putting in this false story. Maybe they did have a funeral scene that uh, they put Lori's body in, but they couldn't show it because they decided that the uh, that the previous scene with Rick, you know, stabbing the zombie meant something that it did didn't necessarily intend in the first place. Right. I I mean, what it comes down to is it feels like. Yeah, it fell apart a little bit. There's some ill-conceived or not fully realized moments in the end of this episode yeah. that didn't work, and now they're trying to fix it after the fact. I want to see the script. That would be interesting. That would be really I w- interesting. I really to see. want to see not the not the uh, you know revised production script. I want to see the original script as it went to the actors, uh, the one they were shooting. Greg Nicotero, if you want to come on the show and respond to our concerns, we'd love to have you. Yeah. <laughs> we'll treat you nice. We will. We'll be nice at the time. Right now- We just want to know. It fell apart. Yeah. Um, so that's that. I, I still hope Carol is going to come back uh, and that, you know, in some ways that'll just make it worse because we've seen a grave with something in it and Daryl putting a flower there and, and you know- Really, really strong indicators that she's dead. Yeah. So her coming back, you know, then they'll have to explain why they thought she was dead. Yeah. And then she'll ask, what did you bury? Yes. And they'll be like, uh, the uh, deer. Your scarf. And we found some deer parts. Yeah. And uh, some rocks. And some rocks. That's what I dug a hole for, by the way. I dug a hole, filled it with rocks. And yeah. then dirt. When you, Yeah. Dirt, for some reason, when you uh, dig a big hole and then you fill it in with that very same dirt, there's a big divot. Well, because the dirt is looser, I guess, and it yeah. settles a little bit more. When you dig a hole for, when you're building a house, and <laughs> yeah. you dig a hole in order to put in the uh, the basement and the foundation and all the walls and that, yes, every scrap of dirt you dug out from that entire uh, size of that house is used to fill in around the gaps uh, where you've poured the the concrete walls. Uh, right, and the and they put they even put gravel down too. Probably, yeah. I don't yeah. know if they do that under a house. So but all maybe. that dirt that was in that entire space just fills around the edges. There's not enough dirt to fill a hole. <clears throat> well, that's uh, that's good. That means that dirt's packed in there real tight, and it'll keep your house nice and straight. That's right. <laughs> but when you dig a hole for a grave and you have nothing to put in it, and you fill the hole back in, it does not make a mound. Well, I don't know. I want Carol to come back. If she does, it'll make it potentially even sillier but i just want her to come back and maybe we can put this all behind us and move on and have her be a important part of the group yeah 
Um, before the episode ends, though, uh, Rick, we go back to him, and he's sitting in the boiler room, just sitting there, wallowing in his batshit craziness. And he's imagining he hears babies crying, and it's all getting more loud, and it's all in his mind, and suddenly a phone starts ringing. Yeah. A phone? What's phone. a phone doing here? He gets up. He walks over to a phone uh, that's just on a table in the boiler room. I guess this is how you communicate with, with the guy. I, I guess so. This is how you call the guy who's working on the furnace. You think it's Glenn calling him? Uh, he's saying, come on out. Come on out. You're, it's you're time good. to come out it's now, time Rick. to come out now. But he picks up the phone. He says... Hello, and the episode ends. That's his only line, right? Uh, he, I, I think so. Yeah. yeah, one word in the whole episode. Yeah. A lot of killing and a confrontation with Glenn. Some crazy looks <clears throat> and some crazy ass looks. And man, he was dirty. Yeah, he was and dirty, bloody, and bloody, and gross. And he just says hello, and we go to black. Um. So other than the obvious problems with this with this episode. It was pretty good. I, I liked it. I had a lot of fun with this episode. I enjoyed it. It reminded me a little bit of the third one where we got, um, uh, where the, the first one where we had half Woodbury, half right. prison, and both sort of sides were, were pretty good, and there was a good balance, too, of, of killing and, and exposition yeah. and dialogue and so on. Um but uh, but yeah, other than the obvious stuff we talked about, I, I did think it was a good episode. Just maybe the weakest of season five so far. You think so? Well, I can't. I mean, the first four were were all pretty killer, and uh, I don't think this was bad. I think the show is still f- hitting on all pretty much all notes here, and 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 they've they're more or less five for five in terms of episodes. But this, if I had to pull one out. Because it had some problems, right? And it if, did. If, well, we had some issues with previous episodes, too. We do, but nothing of this magnitude. Yeah, that was just a bad scene that we can just write out of continuity and forget about, even though we keep bringing it up and I keep talking about it. Yeah, well, it's 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 sort of concerning that we had the prisoner scene from the second episode that was so bad, in our opinion. Yeah. And then these couple here that were that just didn't work. So, I mean, I guess it's not concerning. Military, it's just, you mean. Uh, sorry, military. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, soldiers. Yes, this actually has uh, plot ramifications. Like right. Ongoing plot issues. It does. And they'll, they're going to have to ignore it. Continuity errors. Probably. That Continuity. was just a bad scene. It was. Poorly conceived. Yeah. So uh, that's that. Um, if you got any thoughts, send in uh, your emails to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com or call the voicemail line one eight six six four eight three Z O M B. Maybe we're missing something. Maybe we just totally don't get it. And you know, the listeners out there are far smarter than we are. So, yeah. uh, and uh, one possibility is that the first letter of each of the names in the list is an anagram for something. If anybody wants to give that a whirl, <laughs> let us know. You know, I know you said this is like the lost mystery of this show. <laughs> I don't think it's that deep. <laughs> no, I'm very bad at anagrams, so I, uh, I'm, I, you know, I can take a crack at it, but uh, it'll come out jibolimosht. Well, that's pretty good. <laughs> very good. All righty, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we have listener feedback, and holy crap, did you see that? So don't go anywhere.
It's time to thank our sponsor for this episode of The Talking Dead. And for the listeners, uh, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to use their service. What is your book recommendation this week, Mr. You know Miles? what I'm going to go with? No. I'm going to go with a book that I read uh, going on 10 years ago now that uh, I'm actually kind of interested in, uh, in listening to from Audible. It's Life of Pi. By Jan oh, no. Martel. The Life of Pi. I listened to that, or listened. I read that book back in, I think it was 2003. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and uh, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Did you read the book? No. Well, the movie's coming out soon. Yes. So you don't have to read the book if you don't want to. But I would recommend listening to it, at least before the movie comes out. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I like to listen to books before I see the movie, although I don't do it all the time anymore. So Pai Patel has been raised in a zoo in India. When his father decides to move the family to Canada and sell the animals to American zoos, uh, everyone's, uh, everyone boards a Japanese cargo ship. The ship sinks, and a 16-year-old Pai finds himself alone in a lifeboat with a hyena, an orangutan, and a zebra with a broken leg, and a 450-pound Bengal tiger. Sounds like uh, hijinks will ensue. Yeah, I don't think it's a comedy. Well, it sounds like uh, the drama. Gonna, uh, they're going to sing a song, and they're going to uh, sing about the jungle, and uh, well, life is all grand. They're not going to do that. Yeah. All right. No. Uh, so they, have you seen the trailer? Yes. The trailer looks fantastic. The trailer looks uh, very beautiful. Yeah. I believe Ang Lee has made this movie. Ooh, it's going to be nice. So uh, if you want to check out the book before the movie, I would recommend you do that. So Life of Pi by Jan Martel, uh, narrated by Jeff Woodman. And it comes in 11 hours, 35 minutes. Excellent. To get Life of Pi or any other free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash talkingdead. That is audibletrial.com slash talkingdead for your free audiobook. Listener feedback. Okay, it is time for listener feedback. We got a few here um, on episode four before we get into episode five. The first one is a call from Catherine in Texas, and uh, this is about Lori, the photos in the storage unit. Right. Um, we had Matthew from Montreal and Matt from New Jersey. A lot of Matthews. All right. Uh, also uh, call or write in about this, but here's what Catherine had to say. Hi, this is Catherine calling from Texas, and I just wanted to make a note on something that um, keeps being brought up on the podcast is the storage unit from the webisode and the comment in the first episode of the third season. Um, And one of the feedbacks you had received was that Lori had taken all of Rick's stuff to the storage unit, and like that was something we didn't know about, or she's a bad wife or whatever and um, she really didn't take the photos with her. But in the first season, she has the photos. When Rick finds her, he tells her he knew she was gone with the photos, and she pulls the album out, and they look at it and have this really sweet moment. She didn't take all his stuff and leave it in the storage unit. So um, I just don't think that that's right. And I don't like all the Lori hate anyway. I really thought she got kind of a bad shake down on the Internet. Anyway, um, love the podcast. Bye. Uh, yeah, so this is something a few people pointed out, that she actually did have photos with her in season one. <clears throat> so she didn't just take it all 
you know, move him out of the house as soon as he was in a coma and uh, for, try to forget about him altogether. Right. Um, and uh, it was actually within the realm of possibility, I guess, that she takes took some photos. Whether or not Rick would have really noticed, you know, one photo album being missing when he was in the house, I don't know, but... Uh, I wouldn't. Yeah, I, I wouldn't either. <laughs> I, I really wouldn't be looking for that sort of thing, <laughs> no. but, you know, he's a cop. He's trained to observe, right? right? So I don't know. What happened to that photo album that was on the shelf way at the back? Uh, I haven't seen it in about uh, 14 years, but uh, it seems to be missing. Yeah, it's, it's weird that it's not there. You know, yeah. I don't know. All right, Alex from Ontario wrote in uh, about the tea, and Craig from Omaha, sorry, Alex called in. Craig from Omaha also emailed about this. Hey, guys, Alex, uh, I'm from Ontario. I just thought I would leave a message because you guys are always saying that the tea is uh, true serum. I just thought I would let the record straight. On The Talking Dead, they said it was just one of the writers really liked tea, so they just put in there as an inside joke. Mm-hmm. Anyways, thanks, guy. Love the show, and uh, you guys are really well-spoken, so bye. Oh, we haven't heard that in a while. I know, but it's coming back. People are putting it in calls and in emails and stuff like that. That's so, awesome. Uh, yeah, I don't know... Uh, I don't know really where it came from, but there you go. Uh, We don't know shit about chickens and hens, but uh, well spoken. (laughs) But apparently we can get words out of our mouths. Um, So, yeah, I I don't know how I missed that on The Talking Dead. Apparently it's an inside joke and the tea means nothing. That's too bad. It does seem a little strange that... I like the tea true serum plot line. I did too. I really like the the idea that another listener had that Milton is the is the mastermind behind all yeah. of this, and he's controlling everyone with tea, even the governor. Yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, all righty, Scott from Texas wrote in, um, uh, called in, I keep saying wrote, he called in about uh, what Rick, uh, or what they found by T-Dog's body. <laughs> Well-spoken, right. <laughs> they. Uh... Hey, this is Scott from Dallas, Texas, and I just wanted to call to disagree, possibly. I don't know if maybe I didn't look close enough. But I don't think that was Carol's headscarf. I think it was T-Dog's shirt, because if you remember, his uh, torso had been completely torn apart, not to get too graphic or anything. But uh, I I think it was his shirt, and they were uh, referencing that definitely T-Dog was no longer with us, which made me sad. But, yeah, y'all have a great day. Thanks. Bye. So it was T-Dog's shirt, not Carol's... uh Scarf. So even more reason to believe that Carol is not dead. Right, that she's probably still alive. Um, <clears throat> and it makes sense that T-Dog's shirt would be sitting there beside his body. Yep. You know, the zombies don't eat shirts, I don't think. No, not, uh, not intentionally. They do when uh, Lori's wearing them, apparently. <laughs> That's true. Her clothes were gone ate as everything. Well. Everything. Oh, stupid. <laughs> uh, all righty. So moving on to episode four. Five, Lori from the internet wrote in and she says while I enjoyed everything at the prison and the writers are certainly perverse aren't they I do think Woodbury uh, I do think everything at Woodbury is silly Andrea Michonne and the governor are no more than caricatures not characters their the believability factor is nil I mean come on gladiator games do you remember how in the first part of season two the story arc for Sophia was dragged out I am sick of Andrea be, uh, debating whether to leave Woodbury. I don't care, and the same dialogue keeps getting repeated. So a little bit harsh, wow. but I can see her point. Now, I can't really say that that occurred to me 
uh, like it did in season two when they just continually were searching for Sophia. It felt like every episode there was a scene where they were huddled around the hood of a car deciding where to go on the map. Right, right, right. Um, but how are you feeling about this? Do you think that they're sort of dragging out Laurie and her feelings about leaving Woodbury? You know, I kind of agree. I didn't hadn't really thought about it, uh, but uh, <laughs> I was going to say I do now. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. It never really occurred to me before before now, but uh, yeah, it's been five episodes. You know, shit or get off the pot. Yeah. Well, it's been four. They arrived in Woodbury in the second. Right. Um, and since then, it's kind of been like, we should go. No, let's stay. We should go. No, let's stay. Have a drink. We should go. No, let's stay. So I can I can see it, and I hope it doesn't get to be a bigger problem. We got, what, eight episodes before the hiatus? Yep. So that's three more. Three more. So that's what we're going to have to put up with. It is, <clears throat> because I'm pretty sure the mid-season finale is going to be our two groups coming together. That's going to be the cliffhanger, the way things are going. Yeah, because we've got, uh, you know, we've all been kind of anxious about the governor being a bad guy, because, you know, we're all kind of know that he's a bad guy he's being set up as a bad guy but it's uh, everything he's done and said has been perfectly reasonable mm-hmm. up until now so uh you know we've he's got some issues like he's got uh, zombie head fish tanks and mm-hmm. he's got a daughter uh zombie that he's keeping uh trying to tame yep uh so i think he's got to go from you know anticipation of being a bad guy to completely bad guy very very soon he he. Well, I'm not even so sure. Like, if they decide that, I mean, at some point he's going to find out about the group at the prison and then go there. We sort of know that, right? Yeah. He doesn't necessarily have to show up there as a bad guy. You know, I I don't know. I just feel that they, uh, you know, now that I think about it, I think that they need to pull the trigger on him being a bad bad guy. Either go go one way or the other. He's either actually a good good okay guy or he's evil. Yeah. And I mean, there's some certain certainly some things about him that are evil, but he could also just be misunderstood, right? You yeah. Know, keeping his daughter is not necessarily evil. It's con- it's misunderstood. You know, it's confusing and misunderstood, but yeah. not necessarily evil. Yeah. He thinks he's doing the right thing. He does. I just I think they need to pull the trigger on uh, you know him flipping over to you know, mean bad guy that deserves our hatred and right. uh, we want, just want to throttle him through the head with various objects. That's true. Well, Laurie, uh, good observation and uh, I'm not going to watch the next three episodes the same way now. <laughs> <laughs> Ashley from North Carolina wrote in, and I edited this a little bit for length, Ashley, so I apologize. She writes, uh, what a way to end the Woodbury scenes this week. An area of an arena of chained zombies around a wrestling ring. It was weird seeing all the people of Woodbury cheering the fight on with their kids after just seeing them all smiles with lemonade and cold beers at the friendly neighborhood barbecue. But it goes back to displaying the baser human drives as any good zombie story should. Even in a bastion of civilization during the zombie apocalypse, people still want to see barbaric displays of brute force and power. I was very thankful to see Andrea disgusted by the event because I'd really started to worry about the direction of her development of late. And this is a glimpse uh, to reassure me that maybe she's not changing as much as it seems on the surface. Mm-hmm. Also an excellent point, I think. Um, Andrea's sort of, her just openness to this whole thing seems a little too extreme. Right. Like she's just really easily blending in here. Yeah, she just loves it. Totally. Now, did you notice about the zombies on the chains? Did you notice... Uh, 
didn't that seem a little like an elaborate, complex kind of mechanism for <laughs> releasing the zombies, uh, giving them additional length all at the same rate? Yeah. Well, Red Pants guy who was the referee for the fight, he went over and pulled a lever and the chains released a little bit more so yeah. the zombies could get closer. Yeah. It, yeah. It seemed awfully um, like a lot of effort went into that. They've got Milton the scientist. He probably invented a crank machine that released all those zombies with one lever pull. No, I think that's all Red Pants guy, what have you got in your pocket? I think he's he's done <laughs> that uh, and completely jury-rigged that whole situation because Milton, is, uh, has, he's got other things on his mind. He's got, a, you know, he's got experiments to run. Okay. All right. Well, it was an elaborate mechanism. It really was. But you know what? If you're going to do zombie gladiator fights, why not do it right? Right. Okay? That's all I'm saying. Uh, Melen or Meline from Denmark, wrote in regarding Glenn's conversation with Herschel through the fence. I was slightly stunned because from what I've seen of T-Dog through the seasons, he didn't exactly strike me as a churchgoer. And while he was empathetic and remorseful even towards the abandoned Merle, I hadn't as much... Uh, I hadn't as such pictured him driving around aiding senior citizens. It's an understatement when I say that Glenn's reminiscing made me feel even more robbed of a great character that we never really got to know. Yeah. That's something I didn't mention during the recap, but Glenn mentions that T-Dog was driving around in a church van helping senior citizens when the zombie apocalypse broke out. That's right. And uh, that's something we didn't know about T-Dog, and it's something that uh, sort of gives him another dimension as a character that we'll never really find out more about. Yeah, that's a shame. It is a shame. Finally, Bobby from Delaware. Just wanted to know your thoughts on the look of Woodbury. Personally, I don't like it at all. After reading the comics, and more specifically the books, I think Woodbury should look something more like uh, it is from Mad Max than Leave it to Beaver. Somewhere, I thought I had heard that the books are canon to the show. I don't see how this can be with the conflicting ways the show is portraying the town. To me, the town of Woodbury should be its own character in the show. Dark, gritty and with fear lurking around every corner. I feel like the show is trying to make us believe that there are secrets in Woodbury, but otherwise it is making Woodbury seem like a rather decent place to live. Is Woodbury too sort of Pleasantville for you? I think it's the contrast of the two that makes it uh, at least... I'm not sure whether I like it or don't like it, but I, th I understand what they're trying to do. Mm -hmm. but it's, I guess the contrast between uh, Pleasantville and Beyond Thunderdome. Yeah, to It me, is the apocalypse, right? It is. But to me, Woodbury in some ways feels a little bit too nice. I think Bobby's right. Like it seems a little too, like life is a little too good there. And I know they've got a key team of people that are working to keep it safe and everyone else is just supposed to go about their business, which it looks like they're doing. Right. But you, you, everyone, you know, walking around there at all times in the back of their mind or probably in the front of their mind would be aware of the impending threat from just outside the walls. Yeah. And I don't feel like they'd be walking around so footloose and fancy-free all the time, which is kind of what we're seeing, right? It seems a little bit too friendly. I think maybe they are all, everybody in Woodbury is putting on the act, you know, in order to uh, mentally combat the situation, you know, the, the way the world is. They're all pretending. We're mm -hmm. all pretending that everything is nice, nice, in order to pretend that it's not all nice, nice. It's very circular. Right. So everybody's acting, everybody's pretending. Nobody thinks that uh, the world is a happy-go-lucky place. They're all just putting on airs in order to grasp that little bit of society uh, that they have now that they used to have. So does that mean that 
at any point, it could all come crumbling apart. Absolutely. Right? If they're all pretending anyways, yeah. it could all just fall to the ground at the, you know, at the drop of a hat. Now, to be clear, I think uh, us as a society in North America are all under that same agreement. Like, we're all just pretending. It all could come crumbling down. We, the only reason it hasn't is because we have some kind of social agreement that we're all going to generally uphold the status quo. Yeah, more or less work together to right. make sure it doesn't. Otherwise, it just completely falls apart. Human beings are like that, right? Yeah, except there are no zombies knocking at our door in real life right. yet. So that's, you know, what they're doing. It's a microcosm of, uh, you know, general, you know, current real-world society. But there's uh, a couple of things that are, you know, breathing down their necks yep. kind of thing. The, the outside world is still a harsh place. Yep, it sure is. I don't know. I, I don't think Woodbury is going to last in such an idyllic state for too long. No. You, you never know. We'll yeah, see. It can't. <clears throat> Something's got to happen. And you can't have a happy-go-lucky show. You know, say, hey, come on to Woodbury, and then uh, the governor is a really great person, and the show just kind of goes on its merry way. Everything will be fine. Everything's fine here in Woodbury now. Thank you for watching uh, Walking Dead. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Uh, it's time to do this. Holy crap. Did you see that? All righty. Our first call comes from David in Syracuse. Hi, guys. This is David calling from Syracuse, New York. Uh, I just rewatched, um, I think, episode four last night. Um, I wanted to point something out. It's not a holy crap, did you see that? Yes, it is. But more like, <laughs> hey, this is interesting. Look at the scene where... Mar Sorry, so now we have another new segment. The, hey, hey. this is interesting. What was last week? I, I don't know. Oh, remember. would you come on or... Come I mean, on. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, All right. that's a good segment. <laughs> Uh, sorry, David. Earl is talking to the governor while he's playing golf, and he's trying to convince him to let him go find Daryl. Look at his cheek on the left-hand side of your screen where the governor says, get me more proof, and I'll go with you myself. His cheek is twitching. I don't know if that's involuntary, but I know some people can control their facial muscles like that. I'm wondering, does that mean the governor is kind of afraid of Merle? And, like, he's afraid to say no to him for fear of what he might do? Or if this is just how good of an actor he is, that he can do this with his face? Or if it's just totally a coincidence? I don't know, but I think it's kind of interesting. Anyway, love your podcast. Please make more in the future. Bye. All right. Thank you, David. We will twitchy, make more eh? in the future. The governor was twitchy. And uh, if, if, if Morrissey can control his facial muscles like that, I say... All the better choice to play this character. Absolutely. I can't. Uh, well, no. You could probably go like this a lot, though, and well, no, make I your can face make do funny facial things. facial motions and various <laughs> such things, but uh, I can't control involuntary twitches. Twitch, twitching, yeah. Uh, all righty, Mike from Colorado called in with this. Hi, Chris and Jason. This is Mike from Colorado just calling in with a, holy crap, did you see that for episode five? It's just two brief ones. The way Michonne just totally... Um, killed all those cage bite or walkers, biters, whatever you want to call them, really quickly. And then how when Glenn confronts Rick in the prison, Rick is acting very much like a walker, the way it's lit, the way he's moving, the way he's even breathing. Okay, thank you. Yeah. There you go. Rick was like a walker. He's he's lost his mind. He you definitely know? did look like a zombie walking around there. He did, although he was doing a good job killing the other zombies, so there you go. Yeah. <clears throat> all righty, Matt from New Jersey sent an email in... 
And he says, I'm going to go with the acting. Everyone was great. The only exception is whenever Carl has a strong moment, which usually involves him stuttering the word we to start a sentence. It always comes off poorly. Other than those lines, he is good too, though. I wanted to give particular attention to Andrew Lincoln and Lauren Cohen, particularly during the last scene and the birthing scene for Cohen. Lauren does an incredible job. She is one of the most powerful crying slash all hell breaking loose actresses I've seen. Hmm. That, of course, is from uh, last week's episode. Uh, here we go. Carl, a regular contributor and listener, Carl from Birmingham in the UK, writes, For me, the moment of the week was when the governor walked into his flat and there was some naked lady having a happy snooze on his bed. This is clearly a very different governor to the twisted son of a bitch in the comic and makes me wonder if they are going to go down any of the dark roads the comic traveled with uh, regards to the governor. So there you go. What are we going to get from the governor? It could be anything. could be. Um, Colin from Texas writes, Holy crap, was realizing that Killer Within title refers not just to Andrew, but to Little Shane, too. <laughs> <laughs> Who we now know is named Little Ass Kicker. Not, little Ass Kicker. Not Little Shane. Slash Shane. There you go. I think Dale is a good name for a girl. Yeah, Dale's not bad. Or Jimmy. Jimmy? Yep. That's good. Uh, who who else has died? Jim? Uh, we've had the doctor dude. Um, uh, Jenner, Dr. Jenner. Jenner, yeah. Um, so Jenner, Jimmy, Dale. Uh, Shane. Shane. So just as many men have died on the show as women, I oh, think. Oh, yeah. They're not sexist Oh, in what's there. his name from uh, season two, the beginning of season two? Shane killed him. Uh, Otis. Oh, Otis, yeah. Otis is a good name. For a girl. For a girl. <laughs> Why not? This is the... This is the post-apocalypse. They can do whatever they want. Write in, uh, write in with uh, what you think the name is going to be. Sure. Why not? I think we're going to find out next week. Well, yeah. But we got a whole week for people to write in to see what the name is. We do. Um, I, I'm going to go with what they use in the comic, which I'm not going to say because it hasn't happened on the show yet. We gotta, maybe the, uh, the governor was writing a list of names. Yeah, that's what the names were for. Brian, Maybe. Bobby, Nick, Alice, Susan, David, Emily, Brandon, Jennifer, Zachary, and so forth. Well, we know there's a pregnant lady in Woodbury, so maybe he's, as the governor, one of his duties is to name all the new babies. Right. And that's what his list and was. And that's his list. There you go. Uh, okay. Email. Sarah from Indiana writes, holy crap moment, Michonne cutting one of the caged walkers from shoulder to hip. That yep. was crazy. That was pretty cool. Totally amazing. Uh, Catherine from Houston. Holy crap, did you see David Morrissey? His acting is great. It's deliberate and at times understated and always believable. David Morrissey is the governor. <laughs> he does a great job. He does. He really I, does. You know, I was, I was a little bit questionable, uh, questioning of that choice, but he's stepped up. He's as long as he doesn't do job. that happy-go-lucky thing he's done in uh, various projects he's done in the past. As long as he stays what he's doing, everything is fine. He's going to. That's the character. Yeah. I mean, he's a good enough actor that he will do what's right for this character, and he obviously has so far. Yeah. Uh, Mark from California, we got to see the governor's rotten kid, in quotes. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. That's a good one. Uh, Wayne from North Carolina says, I was going to go with Michonne's crazy precision sword play when she let the walkers in the arena storage loose. But there was one better, and that was Rick's rage-filled massacre of the remaining Zeds inside the prison block. Bravo, Mr. Lincoln, bravo. <laughs> We're running off the rails on the crazy train. All right. 
There you go, Wayne. Thank you. And Melan from Denmark said, my holy crap, did you see that moment was entirely caused by Daryl. Yes, yes, I'm sure plenty of the female Walking Dead fans would say the same, but come on. How awesome was it to see Daryl take off in his Clint Eastwood poncho to find the baby a fistful of formula <laughs> and be the one to calm down and feed the little ass kicker when he got back. Awesome. That's a great one. I like that. That's a good one. Fistful of formula. <laughs> Uh, all right, Jason, you got a you got a holy crap for us. You know, uh, after much deliberation, mm -hmm. uh, I think I'm going to have to go with uh, Rick's splitting of that zombie skull. He got one right in half, there, right, right in a half, right near the beginning, and uh, it reminded me of when uh, the Terminator. Uh, you remember the uh, the Terminator that was made out of the liquid metal? Yes, the, he, the T two thousand or whatever. Yeah, whatever it was. It was. Yeah. He got all split in half, and it was all. Uh, weird and, and gross. The uh, And awesome. And awesome. The splitting of that zombie's head reminded me of that. Rick pulled the Terminator Because it went right through <clears throat> his head all the way down to his neck. And yeah. It was... Uh, I'm going to have to go with that. Yeah. You know, it's... I, I was saying a couple of episodes ago that it seems like they're putting one thing in every episode where you just be like, oh my God, look at the gore there or whatever. There were a few of them in this There was one. a few. Yeah, there was a few. Right? So they're stepping them up. So my holy crap moment is a funny one. A little bit weird. A little bit creepy. A little bit weird. And extremely personal. So, you know, no one else really is going to understand this, but maybe if I describe it, you'll, you'll get why. When uh, Maggie and Daryl are in the uh, daycare, when they're looking for the formula and the supplies, yeah. there is a wall with all the kids' names on the wall. Yeah. Which is not uncommon in places like these. My kids have been in schools and daycares where this, in fact, everyone they've been into does this sort of it's thing. Art class. It's like art class. Yeah. yeah. You learn to write your name, whatever. You put it up. So as Maggie's looking around, the camera pans across and then zooms into this wall, into one of the names on the wall. And the name on the wall is the same name as one of my kids has, which in and of itself is not all that unusual. But it was, it was definitely focused on. It was focused on, for sure, but still, they were just sort of, you know, showing a name on the wall to hammer home that there were kids here at one point and, yeah. you know, make you feel something, right? Which is fine. It worked. The unusual thing here is, like, my daughter uh, doesn't have a, that unusual a name. There are a lot of Sophies in the world. Yep. But there are not many spelled with an F instead of a PH. Right. And this name on the wall was S-O-F-I-E. That is... My kid's name. Yeah. And, you know, if they were going for a Sophia, she has PH, the Sophia from the show. Right. At least as it's written in the comic book. So they weren't really doing that. They just took my daughter's name and put it on the wall and put it on the show very blatantly. <laughs> I noticed that too when I watched it. It freaked me out a little bit. It was a little, little weird. I was like, hey, they're focusing right in on Sophie. That's I know. so strange. Well, <laughs> my wife and I were sitting here last night watching it, and we're like, we were both kind of like, that's a little weird. <laughs> like, that's a little creepy. She's, in five years, we've met lots of Sophies. Yeah. Every one of them has a PH. We've never met another one that has an F. Nice. Never. And then this show comes along, this particular show, and they focus on the wall, and there it is. Like, what the hell? I don't know. It was weird. Maybe I've mentioned her name and they heard me and they, it's a shout out to me on the show. How, what do you think about that? Uh, I think it's unlikely, <laughs> but would be cool and uh, really creepy. Really, really weird. I mean, it's, it's, 
I don't know. That was my holy crap because there's nothing else I could choose in this episode. There were some awesome moments. There but, was. But having my own kid's name, which is a little bit unusual for, you know, the English version of, of her name, right. having it be on the show, creeped me out a little bit. A little strange. I was just like, what is going on? So there you go. <clears throat> All righty. Uh, quickly before we wrap it up. Next week on The Walking Dead. Next week's episode is called Hounded. Hounded. Uh, this is one that you'd said you were looking forward to when we only knew the episode titles. Yeah. Way back in the summer. So uh, in six more days, you're going to get to find out what it means. Woohoo! Very exciting. Uh, all righty, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. If you want to give us a call, you can do so at 1-866-483-ZOMB. That is 9662. It's the Zomb line. It is. And uh, you can also find us on Twitter at Talking Dead. Remember last week when I said I should go on the Twitter and, uh, you know, see what's going on over there? Because yep. I think some people had tweeted us. What's going on? I'll do that soon. Oh. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> I really, really do. That'll be nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are also on Facebook at facebook.com slash thetalkingdead. Lots of good stuff going on over there. And uh, please go and participate and like us there. That would be fantastic. You can also email us at talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. So uh, anything else, Jason, before we call it a night? I don't think so. All right. My name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao. We'll see you next time.